It's one thing to dream, but it's another thing to become a dreamer that achieves their goals. In this week's and part of a two-week-long podcast edition, I've got a special guest, Nigel Lippising Fleming. As he comes in, he talks to us about everything from his childhood, growing up in the music industry, living in the, in the West Indian Islands and then coming back to the United Kingdom. He talks about becoming a, an entrepreneur, reinvesting himself, reinventing himself, and then growing a business, creating wealth, how he learns. And in fact, it's just an amazing session where he talks about everything. And it pretty much ends up becoming a coaching session for you on how to plan your life. You don't want to miss this edition and this episode of Becoming a Practical Dreamer in the You Unleashed. Stay unleashed and make sure you tune into this episode. Welcome to the You Unleashed podcast with Femi Akinyemi, the podcast where we share ideas and stories on how to rock it in the workplace and life in general. Sometimes I use stories from my past, and trust me, I have got some, but other times it brings me great pleasure to bring people who know a lot more than I do and who have their own personal experiences to come into the studio, break it down, and just drop some knowledge on us. You know what I usually say? I have become a believer that done is better than perfect. So in whatever it is you do, whatever you have a vision for doing, just start and you'll be amazed as you make progress, how close to perfection you get. With that said, let's get into it. Now this week, I've got a special, special guest and it's someone I've grown to consider as a big brother, a mentor, a coach, and just someone who I trust when I ring is just going to give me the unadulterated truth. Um, his life has been an amazing journey that has seen him being two of the UK's biggest bands, the Stone Roses and OMD, and as well as share some ideas with the world-leading lights in business development and personal growth. He's now a tech entrepreneur, and he founded the UK's number one non-profit church and charity website called UK website provider called UK Churches. His services are used by over 500 companies or organizations, and although initially tailored for churches, he now develops websites for charities and businesses. It's an amazing service, if I must give it a shout out here. You just tell them what you want, they build your website, and all you do is send emails and they make the changes for you. It's a completely hands-off, delegated approach to website development that just makes your life easy. His agency also provides social media marketing services to organizations who want to reach and grow their audience. Motivating people to be the best is, is at the heart of what he does. And he also delivers workshops and seminars in schools and organizations, as well as providing motivational content for radio. I know the first time I heard him was on Premier Gospel radio station, and he was dropping some inspirational, motivational content. And I reached out to him on Instagram, and he answered straight away, as you would expect someone who is wants to see everyone do their best. And then we got into talking, we became friends, and it's become a good relationship, a profitable relationship ever since. So it gives me great pleasure to welcome to our studio, virtually, because of what's going on in the world, Nigel Ippinson Fleming. Nigel, thank you very much. For hey, Femi, it's uh, it's really good to be with you today. Um and thank you so much for um, your 
your kind words and uh, the introduction that you've given to um, uh, to me. It's really good to be with you today. No, it's been a pleasure, and um, I've been planning this for a long time, and I've always been saving <laughs> it because I've always wanted to bring you on, but I've kind of gone when the time is right, I'll know. Yes, um, time is right. Yes. So, thank you very much for coming. So, when I when I read your biography, I just went. There is so much to talk about here. And what the first thing I start with is Stone Roses, OMD, mm-hmm. and I mean, and to know what you do now, how does one go from being whatever you were to being in a band and yeah. then being an entrepreneur and being a pastor along the way and yeah. combining all of that to be a, a motivational speaker and a coach? I mean, what's your story? How did you get into this? Um, it, it's it's a, it's a very long um, it's, it's a very long story. Um, it, it, what's quite interesting, actually, is um, you uh, is me hearing back. Uh, if I'm honest with you, uh, you know, when you're talking about the things that I've done and um, where where I am in life now, it's interesting to hear it um, because. Uh, the, the reality is, is it has been a very long and uh, ver- varied, if you were to call it, journey. Um, but I think the best place for me to start with it is is literally by saying that um, I, I would describe myself as a dreamer. Yeah. And um, if I'm 100 percent honest with you, when I was younger, um, when people would call me a dreamer it is something that i would get upset about um because i felt that when they talked about uh, someone being a dreamer what they really were referencing was someone who is a fantasist so basically they 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 have great ideas you know when people talk about someone oh he's a dreamer uh, but things don't really uh, as such get done so what i really set about uh, to do and become is to become a practical dreamer. And um, if I were to break down, just say, for example, if if we had no more minutes uh, to talk about anything that's happened to me and someone were to say, well, how do you become a practical dreamer? What I would say is, is that a practical dreamer, and if you want to achieve anything at all, it literally is about reverse engineering um, the process and steps from where you are now or, or from where you want to get to from where you are now. So uh, it literally is going to the end of something, calling the end, and then working the appropriate steps backwards from there. I mean, so that makes sense. Pretty much, that's pretty much the way that I describe myself uh, you know, whether or not it's been in music or as a, a tech entrepreneur or pastoring a church or or, or coaching or it, it, it doesn't matter what it is. I've always gone to the end, seen the end and then work my way backwards from there. No, that, that is, there's quite a lot in what you said. That's amazing. And one of the things that resonated with me immediately was. I don't know if it's a cultural thing, but it is so common for dreams to be destroyed when when kids are young people want to be all kinds of things and you're a dreamer you're a hopeless dreamer yeah and people crush dreams and every single day that dream gets knocked so you end up doing what the world wants you to do yes you end up being your authentic real self 
Yeah. Well, one of the interesting things about that is the fact that from a very early age, and you, you know, I'm coming from at this from the angle of being a musician as well. But irrespective of being a musician uh, or, or just being a child in general, from a very early age, we are actually taught how to merge. Yeah, mm. we're actually taught how to fit in. And um, standing out is not necessarily something that's encouraged. And also, um, um, uh, how can I describe this? Fitting in well or performing and by fitting in well is something that's rewarded. So, uh, it, it, so the reality is, is if you have a dream and your dream is outside of the lines or doesn't follow the established pattern, uh, one guy I heard describe it as um, the 500-year-old mind. Um, basically, we are living through the traditions of what has been passed down to us behaviorally. If you try and step outside of that, uh, to be perfectly honest with you, it's not something that's encouraged. No, that's a good point. I was reading a book yesterday, I think, um, by a guy called Eric Fromm called The Art of Loving. And he said one of the reasons why we're all desperate to be loved and why we don't know how to love is because we seek to be part of a group. We all want to be part of a group. So very quickly, we're taught from young not to embrace individuality, but it's to embrace a group. And yes. in doing that, you, you lose your sense of your uniqueness. Yes. And we all forget we're all quite unique and we end yeah. up forming and not fulfilling our potential. Exactly, exactly that. So it, it, it's, it's a challenging one um, to have to overcome um, and um, one of the things that I'm grateful for, especially for, for, for where I am in life at the moment, is, and I, I, I know they can't necessarily see the reality of it, but um, the, the, the year seven to 10 uh, or 12, um, you know, kids that where I'm in schools at the moment, really, they are the uh, personal development, self-awareness seeking clients of tomorrow. Uh, they don't realize that I'm actually giving them the information now. Um, but the, the the reality is, is those are the people that are going to be looking for the meaning of life in 10, 15 years time. Um, if they don't follow the path, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yes. yes. No, it's amazing. You're, you're giving them that paradigm now. You're catching them young because yes. this is when, because they don't teach us stuff like that in schools. Nobody teaches yes. you about that stuff in schools. And then you grow up and you're, dealing with all kinds of problems. Yeah. So to bring it back, so you became a musician. I mean, what's the story? How did it, were you always into music or, or how did okay. you get into being well, part of a, a rock band? For that <laughs> well, that's a long, that's a bit of a long journey. Um, in, in a nutshell, my, my grandfather was a part of the Windrush, uh, you know, kind of generation uh, that came to the United Kingdom. And um, uh, he, he will always be uh, an incredible hero of mine because, you know, to move from one side of the world with eight children um, to settle in a, in a, in a foreign country, um, I think it takes a great uh, mind uh, or a great imagination to achieve something along those types of lines. And... Um, I was born in Liverpool in 1970, um, but the house that I was born into, as in my grandfather's house, uh, which is where we lived, um, that house had a piano in it. When he bought the house, the house came with a piano. 
Wow. Uh, so I, I was born knowing that that instrument existed. And um, my first attempts really were just trying to play it. Um, I, 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 it's a little bit like sliding doors really as to what would have happened had there not been a piano in the house. Mm. Um, but the house came with a piano. That's the house I was born in. And I started playing the piano when I was three years old. And um, my my um, parental heritage is um, part Nigerian, part West Indian. Mm-hmm. So um, my father, he was a, a, a merchant seaman with Nigerian shipping line. And um, as a result of him uh, being born in Liverpool, Liverpool was a port town. So as a result of him coming into Liverpool, that's how he... Um, that's how he met my mum, and um, so they met. Um, they got married, um, uh, but not long after, my, you know, my mum and dad decided to go their separate ways. So as a result of that, I was raised, um, let's say, by the West Indian side of my family. But they, they they reached a certain point in time where my grandparents. Um, decided to resettle back in the Caribbean, back in the West Indies, small island there called Anguilla. And so in 1977, um, they made the decision to take myself and my sister with them uh, across there. One of the reasons why they did that is because my mum, the job that she has had at, at the time as a computer operator, she worked, she did three shifts. Um, which meant the first shift was a morning shift. The second shift was an afternoon one. And the third one was a night one. So in terms of mine and my sister's childcare and things along those lines, from a practical perspective, you know, there, there wasn't really a way that that was going to be resolved. So the decision was made to take myself and my sister to go and live in the West Indies with my grandparents. So I ended up living in, in, in the West Indies for uh, about five years. So I was separated from my mum for about five years uh, over there. And if I'm honest with you, that window of life alone is, um, I, I'd call that sufficient enough data for a podcast in and of itself. Um <laughs> And the reason why I say that is because um, being a a, a black boy growing up in Liverpool, then translating or or, or, or moving from that culture into the West Indian culture and being there for however many years. With a scar accent. With a, you know, uh, (laughs) wow. Wow. Um, that went down a treat with the children that I met over there. Um, farming before you go to school, you know. Um, walking, you know, long distances, four, five, six miles, you know, that type of thing. Um, just the cultural shift for a five-year period over there. And then coming back to England in 1983, 1984, and rejoining a school in the the middle of... So I came back to England 
in the December of, I think, 1983 or 84, and which meant that I was joining a, uh, I was coming back in in winter and then also joining a secondary school uh, at the beginning. Well, a bit of a way into what would be classed as year nine. Um, so that transition from one place to another culture and then back again, let alone the the, the period of time in, in that place that's why i call that an education in and of itself if i were to put a title on those five years i would literally the the, the simplest title that i could put on those five years for would be work ethic you learned the value of work ethic from your from your grandfather those five years in anguilla is where i learned i saw an interview once with um, will smith and in this interview what Will Smith said was, you may be stronger than me, you may be better than me, you may be more talented than me, you may be better looking than me, but if you put you and me on the treadmill, there's only one person getting off first, and that's you. I, I love that because what, that, what I was trying to say is a lot of things I can't control. But- yeah control how much work I put in. I, I can control 100%. And so when I saw that interview with Will Smith, if you were to put my West Indian experience five to six years in the West Indies, that I would put that under the heading work ethic. Yeah. I learned work ethic there. I learned never say die there. I learned underdog there. I learned... I learned winning. I learned winning there. Because you had to survive. In, a, in effect, winning was to survive, to survive this child brought from England yes. there, yes. transported, yes. Yes. dealing with all of that, walking when you're used to catching the bus and a cozy life, walking yes. five, six kilometers, then yes. being transported after all that back to you with a funny accent, getting teased, getting 100%. pushed out. Yeah. Outdoor bathroom. Yeah carrying water on your head, learning how to not um, that thing, that, yeah. um, not that thing that you put on your head. Oh, I know it. Learning how to fill a bucket with water, then lift it from the ground onto your knee and then hoist it up onto your head and then carry it and balance it and walk for half a mile. Yeah, I mean, as a kid that grew, grew up in Nigeria, I know what that is. I still don't know what the English name is. So if, if any of our listeners knows what that thing is, um, send it, I don't know uh, what it was on social media from your or send it to me. <laughs> but I had to learn how to knot that thing and tie it around to make it soft. So, the amount so of times on your head, don't support the thing on your head. And my, you know, my grandparents obviously they were by the time we got over there, they were in, you know, they were in their latter years. Hmm. So, um, you know, the value of carrying a pail of water and getting from one destination to the other with the quantity of water was very important. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. You can't so, afford to spill on the way. You've got to bring no, it. no, no. Because then you had to go back. Oh, yeah. yeah. And, um, yeah, that's, that, that's all I can say about that. Yeah. Work ethic survival. So that brings Work us. Work ethic survival, yeah. 
I mean, I don't know if this is the right time, but I remember when I first met you and you were, you were encouraging me. And you told me about your father introducing you to the book, um, um, Think and Grow Rich. Yeah. Um, is that, is, was it when you were with him? in, in right. so, so basically, my, my, my grandfather was a phenomenal reader and he had books on his bookshelf. And um, I, obviously, I've shown you the picture of that book. I've sent it to you, yeah. I think, on the first conversation we had. Edition. That book, um, it stood out on the bookshelf amongst all of the other books. Uh, but he didn't allow... Um, he, he didn't allow you to kind of like touch his books. Not when you were, uh, not when I was that age, <laughs> seven, eight, nine, ten. you know, you, you weren't allowed to touch his books, but um, it was uh, however many years later um, when I, um, I, I revisited the Island and I saw the book on the bookshelf and I picked it up then um it was part of what I would consider to be a very interesting legacy that was left for me by my grandfather, because in essence, he only gave me two things. He gave me that book and at the top of every letter. So when I left the West Indies to come back to the United Kingdom, at the top of every letter that he wrote to me on the right hand corner, he would just write Joshua 1 verse 8. Wow. And for me... Um, so that particular passage of scripture um, just says this book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth, but you shall meditate in it, observe to do all it commands you for then you will make your way prosperous and you will have good success. I think it's the only place in the Bible where the word success is mentioned, but success is very definitely tied to personal responsibility. So he gave me that scripture. And one of the things that I really credit my grandfather with is um, uh, I'm going to, I'm just going to call it subliminal programming. Yeah. <laughs> because, you know, to spend, I, I came back to England in 1983, 84. And up until when he passed away, which was in 1991, literally every single letter that I got from him, He'd write the letter, but in the top right-hand corner, all it had was Joshua 1, dot, dot, 8. Every single letter. Wow. So. He was ahead of his time. Way ahead. And, and that's one of the things that I, it, it can be very hard to reconcile being ahead of your time with yourself when you are ahead of your time. Yeah, indeed. But looking back at the way that he dealt with me as a young man, um, you know, he, 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 he did, he did a phenomenal job of, um, um, programming. I'm going to say my mind then to, to see opportunity. There you go. Yeah. And uh, so program your mind to see opportunity. Then it's up to you whether or not you apply work ethic yeah. to opportunity and then I guess the third part of the equation is seeing how the results pan out. Now, the, the thing about music, which is obviously where we started talking about this, is the fact that for the five years that I was there, the only access that I had to a piano was via a lady by the name of Teacher Ruby, who I only saw uh, once every, uh, every fortnight, I think it was. And so uh, 
I, I would see her, but I didn't have a piano then myself. So a lot of my work in my was largely in my mind. I used to have to just visualize the piano and imagine what I would play when I got the chance to play one. And then when I came back to the United Kingdom, obviously the piano was still in the house. My mum purchased the house off my grandfather. So it was the same house that I came back to. And um, as far as music went, um, I, I pretty much developed my musical ability playing by ear. And the way that I learned that was by listening to television adverts. And um, I often say to people that I was a lot better at slamming the lid down on the keyboard before I was good at playing it because I used to get very frustrated with the fact that I could hear things, but I couldn't play them the way that I wanted to. But eventually I became good at that. And um, one of the most awkward things about joining the school, um, when you join a school in mid-year, all of the friendships have already been made. Yeah. So you're an outsider. Um, so I became or was very um, introvert, very I was I was a geek, really um, introvert, very quiet, very sh didn't really speak to people and stuff. But one of the things that I used to do in school during lunch hour, which was my own if you were to call it mechanism, self-defense, or whatever you want to call it, um, I would go into the school hall and I would play the piano and kids would come in, they'd hear me playing and they would ask me if I could play such and such a chart song. Do you know how to play Aha, Take On Me? Do you know how to play da 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 da? Do you know? And because I developed my musical ear, I would be able to play whatever tune it was they asked. So in a way, I started to become popular in school then because I was a kid that knew how to play things when people asked them how to play it. And then um, I joined a band with some friends in school. And one day um, we were busking in Liverpool. Um, we were busking in Liverpool city center. And this guy called, I don't know if you remember a TV program called Red Dwarf. Um, with this guy called Craig, Craig Charles. And he he came up to us and told us about this competition that was going to be on the BBC called Saturday Superstore Search for a Star and told us that he thought we should enter it. So um, I, with my friends, we entered that competition. And in 1987, we won that competition on the BBC. Wow. And um, from there, I became a session musician. I played with um, um, a guy called the Rebel MC, um, he was phenomenal. Him? Of course, you know him, man. Yeah, he was he was big at the time. Yeah, and then I ended up playing for um, for orchestral maneuvers in the dark, and then that led on to me doing you know a, a range of other phenomenal stuff, and then ended up with me being um, in the Stone Roses. And each one of those, again, if you were to look at. Uh, the, the West Indies living phase, mm. um, I would call that about work ethic. Yeah. If I were to look at the phase um, between me coming back to England and getting to age 21, I would describe that phase pretty much as one where I would describe that largely as insecurity. Yeah. 
insecurity. And I don't think that's something to be ashamed of, yeah? Uh, and the reason why I would say insecurity is because I, I didn't, I'd come from an, I'd left the environment that I was in. I had to go and fit in in another environment. And then I was moving from that environment and wanting to fit in in the one so you didn't feel like you belonged anywhere. You didn't feel like you belonged. No, absolutely not. And um, one of the things that I've had to tackle most most recently, uh, or, or you know, that's been at the forefront of my mind in the middle of all of this, is growing up during that era in secondary school. And if I'm honest with you, the embarrassment of not having a dad. Uh, it was embarrassing. And kids don't necessarily talk about that. But when other kids are doing stuff and they're doing stuff with their dads and what are you know and you just don't have one and you don't really know the detail of why that happened and you can't really explain anything and you know it's embarrassing stuff i I get you know they probably have classes and whatever for children now but at the time it was you know you just get on with life but you get on with life through the vehicle of fitting in yes and from a musician's point of view, when I talk about insecurity, um, uh, the, the baseline principle of being a musician is the fact that you are an entertainer. And the way that you get rewarded is by applause. Yeah. But applause equals approval. Yes. Which means you can potentially fall into approval addiction. Yes. So if you are uncertain of who you are, which is why I'm saying during that window up until the age of 21, that was largely about uncertainty because who knows who they are, really, at that age. You're just trying to make your way through life. Um, I had an idea of what I wanted to achieve. I knew it involved business. I knew it involved um, generating wealth. I knew it involved music. Um, But the vehicle for me, to, to get that at the time, I didn't necessarily think as being my essential self. I saw that as being approved. So the uh, if you then fast forward that window, and then we look at me in the period in OMD, yeah, wow, phenomenal um, period of time on the surface, toured the world, um, couple of hit records. Um, brilliant albums, um, but uh, th- that period of time as well, I would say, um, how would I describe that period of time? Um, I-, I would describe that period of time pretty much as you're, you're full on, even though I was at the so say top of the world, I was full on in the approval addiction window. So you 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 lost it after that approval where everyone gives you a round of applause and you felt accepted and this is what made you buzz. This is what gave you that high. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, and and in that window fitting in, then that's where from a peer pressure point of view. Right now we're going to experiment with drugs. Now we're going to try this. Now we're going to try that. Now we're going to try the other. So from 21, pretty much through to 27, 28, that was that window of uh, going into uh, full-on approval addiction, yeah, which just manifests itself in other kind of ways. Um, 
and then reaching the end of the end of your rope, as it were. Yeah. But don't get me wrong, phenomenal experience, massive touring the world. Um, some of the greatest experiences that I've had. Um, the biggest concert I did was um, um, Duran Duran, uh, us Duran Duran, Prince. Um, you know, it's phenomenal. It, world tours galore. It was an amazing, amazing um, experience. Well, I can hear, I can hear some pretty phenomenal names there. So I'm guessing in in, in that addiction to the applause, that approval, that belonging which led on to getting involved in other things, substances and all sorts of things to, to keep that high going. You said mm-hmm. at the end of your rope, which I'm guessing meant you got to rock bottom. Yes. Realizing there has to be another way. Yeah. Um, rock bottom, realizing there has to be another way, but also realizing that along the way as a practical dreamer, that I I definitely used some amazing principles, yeah? So one of the key principles that I talk about with people is um, visualization and being able to see. So I, I'll give you an example of what I mean. Um, one of my favorite keyboard players is a guy by the name of Greg Fillingaines. A lot of people don't, Never heard of him. If you know, you know. Um, if you, but if you're in the know of music, and if I were to play you, um, uh, you know, some albums, you know, uh, you know, Toto. Um, Hosanna. Da, yeah. dun, 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 dun. I, I, could, I could reel you off lists of tunes, yeah? And um, if you hear those tunes... You go, I know that song, but you wouldn't necessarily know that it was Greg Fillingaines, who was the keyboard player playing. Yeah. Well, I made it my job to, I, I guess, in industry terms now. Yeah. Um, there's an industry term which is called benchmarking. Yeah. Benchmarking is, that's part of, yeah. You see the best. And the best is the benchmark, and your job is to try to emulate and copy and to become the best. There we go. Right. So at the time, as a 15, 16, 17-year-old, I didn't know the word benchmarking. But I knew that when I got an album, I would turn the album over because I wasn't interested in the person who was in the front. I wanted to know the small names on the credits who played the keyboards on da 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 da? Who played so and so on so and so and so? And then what I started to realize was that there were a network of guys who were literally the go-to men. Yeah, they were the benchmark in the session music industry. And this guy Greg Fillingaines, he went on to become Michael Jackson's musical director. Yeah. Wow. Now, I have now, and I actually. I had a a picture back then of an album that um, Greg Fillingaines created himself. And I had that picture on my wall. And um, I can remember being in the NEC in Birmingham in 1990. I went there to see a concert with Bobby Brown. And um, I can remember saying at the time, 
the next time, the next time I come back here, I'll be on that stage. And you, and were, and you were declaring, you were speaking something into existence, weren't you? 100%. And that is something that I believe joins um, being a practical dreamer, yeah, with having a vision, with visualization, um, which ties itself into speaking and thinking correctly, which ties itself practically into reverse engineering. Because the 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 next time that I did go to the NEC, I was on the stage. But not only was I on the stage, I was actually on the stage playing a keyboard, which was a mirror of the keyboard image that I had of Greg Fillingains on my wall. Wow. Wow. It's, it's amazing how, how these things work. I mean, not to make a segue, I remember for a long time I, I had this beat-up old car I was driving. And mm-hmm. I always wanted to drive a new car, but nothing happened. And it was only when I went to a car dealership, I saw yeah. the car, and I started yeah. to imagine myself drive the car. I started to go on the internet to visualize the car. Well, to look at the car. I didn't know I was visualizing. I looked at the car, and I said, would this car look good? And I started to imagine myself driving it. And would you yeah. know it in, in a few weeks? <laughs> yeah. I found myself driving that car. There you and go. Yeah. Back to you, but you've said a lot of good stuff here because you said really it's the story of a practical dreamer. You've yes. realized you need to work to get what you want. So yeah. dreamers don't they work during the day, they, they dream during the day and sleep at night. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The day. But then you yeah. visioned, you visualized, and yes. then you started to think correctly. And yes. then we've, and that all sums up in this reverse engineering. So yes. that seems to be like the formula that got you to start to achieve things. Yeah, well, it was the formula because one of the things about um, one of the things about um, being a child, yeah, one of the things about being a child is that things uh, occur with you naturally. Yeah, mm-hmm. you don't have time to overanalyze processes. Yeah. So the things so creative visualization to me as a child came naturally. Yeah. Um, it wasn't something that needed. It, it's it, it's fascinating for me now. Studying a book like Think and Grow Rich or having the opportunity to, um, like, say, for example, pastor a church and, and teach principles from the Bible, because a lot of the stuff that I end up teaching and talking about as a child they were, it was just innate. Yeah. You, you watch a child. Um, okay. You, you take a child learning to ride a bike. One of the first, um, uh, uh, let's call it inspirations behind a child riding a bike is a child seeing somebody else do it. Hmm. That's the only way they know. They see somebody else doing it. Wow. I want to do that. Then they imagine it, they dream it. They perhaps, uh, I can remember back in the day, we used to call it the laminated book of dreams. That's the Argos catalog. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, you'd look in the Argos catalog and you wanted everything in there, yeah? Yeah. So you, you see someone else doing it. And then the next thing is you, you pester your parents as to whether or not you can have a bike yourself. 
or you buddy up with somebody that you know has a bike that you can perhaps share and ride sometimes. Mm. Then the next thing that you do is relentless practice. You know, like a kid coming home from school that wants to learn how to ride a bike, you don't need to send them to a motivational seminar in order to get them to be encouraged to ride the bike. Mm-hmm. It's something that they do purely from heart's desire. Oh, yeah. Here's the next thing. You find a kid now who falls off a bike, yeah? We don't send them to therapy or counseling or anything to tell them to get back on the bike. They just get back on the bike, and they just keep going, and they keep going, and they keep – so for me, I look at a lot of that stuff as – it was already innate. If anything at all, I would say as adults or the older we get, we overthink the processes that were innate to us Yes, when we were younger. And also um, falling off a bike when you're aged uh, 40 hurts more. It hurts more. A lot more embarrassing than falling off a bike when you're – yeah, exactly, exactly. So those are the factors that come into play when being a or attempting to be a practical dreamer or attempting to break the mold of what you've already seen, heard, understood, you know, that type of stuff. But I would describe a lot of that stuff to me then as being innate. Um, and it's stuff that I now understand uh, was my formula and if I'm honest with you, um, I'm spending a lot of life now um, seeking to get back to that bike riding uh, kind of uh, way of living, you yeah. know? Yeah. That, that, that's the way that I would describe that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so true. So the music career comes to an end. Yeah. And you're thinking, what next? Yeah. Well... I, I was thinking what next, and I, and I knew I wanted it to be in – well, I didn't know what I wanted it to be, but one of the things about the music industry is the fact that it is an industry that uh, up until a certain point, you are still told what to do. I know what it looks like on the cameras. I, I know what it looks like on television, but – one of the reasons why there's such a massive explosion in the music industry now in terms of independence and ownership is because, you know, it's unreasonable, really. If you can imagine this, yeah, um, it's unreasonable, really, for an artist to create something, sign over their works to the if to, in effect, what is a bank. Um, because when you hear of an artist getting a record deal and that record deal is for a million pounds or two million or whatever it is, what a lot of people don't understand is that the money that the artists get up front is actually a loan. Yeah. You've got okay, an albums in a certain time. You've got to pay for your videos and everything else. Yeah. You've got to pay for your marketing. You've got to do all of those kind of things. And then if you're selling a CD for nine, like say, call it nine ninety nine. But of that $9.99, your royalty share of that is around about 78 pence. 
That's the level of that's level 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 you've got to sell to. to you've got a lot of that tech, precisely. So for me, um, you know, there were largely, I'm going to say there were probably three um, avenues then. So you had your super, um, you had your super megastar artist, yeah. Um, then you had your work for hire artists, pretty much like your boy bands and stuff along those lines. And then you had your independent artists. And like, um, for me, looking at that, all of those models, by the time I'd been through the industry myself, I knew that what I wanted for myself really was independence. I wanted independence. I wanted to be able to set the course for my life. Um, by that point in time, um, I was, you know, at the phase of starting or contemplating starting a family and things along those lines. And I, I wanted to establish life with an infrastructure that meant that I was not being led around by an industry, that I was the one that was in charge of the decisions that I was going to make. So um, in into that area, really, I guess is where uh, I, I knew that entrepreneurial pursuits and or business were going to be the next step, although I didn't know what that was going to be. All right, good. And that's where, you, but eventually that's where you start, you set up UK churches. Yeah. So what happened was I, I actually set up an agency called Music and Message. It was called Music and Message First. Okay. And the idea with Music and Message was that I, um, I literally wanted to uh, provide music for people, when, you know, when they were on hold on the telephone. Yeah. Uh, and it seemed a very, very simple industry to get into. And so I did that for a while. And but in terms of the promotion of that, I needed a website yeah. because the internet at the time was starting to kind of come forward. So um, my cousin um, introduced me to a guy um, who he said, "Oh yeah, I got this friend, and he'll be able to build your website for you." So um, this guy did my website for me, and then somebody else asked me where I got my website done. I told them so because of the repeat occurrences of that happening um i had a, a you know a fairly detailed conversation with the guy who had built my website at the time and he was going to university um in bristol to study new media and um he went to university and he was there literally for one year and i i i i basically presented him with what i saw as the next a great possible potential. And in that period of time, what had happened was um, a church had asked for a website. They'd asked me, oh, where did you get your website done? Oh, yeah, so we organized it. Um, but at the we did that for about three or four churches. But the credit at the bottom of the website said music and message. And to me, that didn't sound like the right branding to have at the bottom of a church website. Mm-hmm. So... Um, after a couple more churches did so, um, I decided to change the name from Music and Message to UK Churches. That's how UK Churches wow. uh, basically started. And um, my colleague, um, I, <laughs> I asked him to, uh, I asked him to quit um, university. He quit. He quit university at the end of his first year. 
And um, that's pretty much how UK Churches uh, was born. Yeah. Wow. So you've you've grown a business and it's about spotting opportunities because you did something for yourself and it's solving a problem for yourself. You've yeah. realized other people have this same problem. And then yeah. you were able to spot, I know someone who can help me solve this problem for people. I know how yeah. to get customers. Let's yeah. get together and scale this into a business for other people. So yeah. it's a good lesson here from a lot of us is sometimes when you solve a problem for yourself, do not underestimate that there are people who have the same problem. And if you can yeah. take that ability to solve that problem for yourself and share it to other people, you might have yeah. created a business for yourself. 100%. And and the other thing that I would say about that as well is that, um, you know, uh, sometimes, you know, when you talk about people, and let me say this, like, I think it's really important to say this. Being an entrepreneur is not for everybody. Yeah. And one of the things that I've noticed recently is the fact that entrepreneurship and going into business for oneself has come across as being really like the cool thing to do. Yeah. Um, and it, it it looks cooler now than it was when I when I started out doing what I was doing. Being an entrepreneur wasn't cool. Yeah. Probably wasn't and, called that then even possibly. Sorry? Probably probably wasn't even called entrepreneur back then or something. No. No, to, to be perfectly honest with you, the only person that was really seen as an entrepreneur back in the day for me really was Richard Branson. Yeah. He was literally the only person that had that title. You didn't see anybody else as a role model to say, get into this. Whereas now it's kind of like, oh yeah, I'm an entrepreneur and it's cool to be an entrepreneur. Um, and one of the things that people talk about is uh, about going into business and fulfilling your passion. Yeah. Uh, and if I'm honest with you, um, sometimes going into business and being an entrepreneur has absolutely nothing to do with your passion. Yeah. Mm. Um, I would consider, okay, on a, if you, if you look at a, a kind of like the big picture, there are people that would look at me and go, Oh my God, he was the guy in the stone roses. That's at the pinnacle. You know, they're one of the biggest bands in, in, in rock bands in the UK. Similarly. So from a, a Euro pop perspective, OMD, massive, yeah. But within my life picture, um, UK churches has actually turned out to be a far more sustainable, uh, bigger and consistent brand than OMD and the Stone Roses were for me. More significant, yeah. More significant. And also been going for 20 years. I was in those bands for... I think I was in OMD for about five years. I was in the Stone Roses for close to two and a half. UK churches, 20. Yeah. So, and here's the interesting thing about UK churches as well. I don't know how to develop websites and it doesn't involve music and music is my passion. Yeah. So sometimes the opportunities that are, that can come to you from an entrepreneurial perspective can come because of the fact that you've got a different perspective. So I approach the business of web design and building websites for, for charities and churches. I approach that with a music industry mindset. 
So the designs or the templates that um, our team come up with, I call those, in my language, I call those the songs. Mm. Yeah, the, the, the designs are the songs. And the idea is to take the song, give it to the artist, who is the client, and then through the collaboration of production, the record producer, the session musicians, the, you know, so the record producer, that's the web developer, yeah. the, the session musicians, the people who are finding the graphics, all of that type of stuff. And you put all of that together and then the client has a website. But then when that website is functioning for that client, that is a hit record. Yeah. So I've just applied music industry terminology or processes then to web design does that make sense no that makes perfect sense and what we're saying here is sometimes what you can use as a vehicle for world creation or business isn't necessarily directly your passion you can yes. use lessons learned from your passion to translate yes. into that business to grow that business but yes. it's not true that whatever your passion is has to be your source of business. You and I know you still, play the, you, you still play the piano. You go to schools, yes. and I know from what they pay you, it's more about giving yes. back. You go to schools, you play, you enjoy yes. your passion, but then you have your hard, cold business, which sustains yes. your life. Yes. You can have your yes. passion fishing. You can have your passion whatever, and that's your passion. Yeah. You do that, and then you can have. A, a business opportunity you take yes. that, you make money out of it and that sustains your life yeah. and actually allows you to enjoy your passion without pressure a 100 I, I love the fact that you use the phrase their passion without pressure because again again one of the uh, okay if i look at my career now in i am not in the music industry anymore okay all right let's let me oh let me put it this way i am a songwriter I'm a record producer. Um, I work and I go into the studio now. Most more, most recently, I've been going into the studio and songwriting with DJs and stuff along those lines. And, and what's really cool about that is that when I go in, um, I don't actually need to be there. I, I'm there because I actually really want to be there. My livelihood doesn't depend on it. And because my livelihood doesn't depend on it, I can approach those sessions from the point of just sheer genius and, yeah and just enjoy it enjoy it is complete freedom it means that the people that i am working with are getting the most out of me it's it's fantastic now from an economic perspective um and, and this is where i think especially when it comes to artists or musicians or stuff along those lines i talk about things being a practical dreamer um from a consistent perspective, going into schools and doing school assemblies and doing gospel choir workshops and things along those lines over the years, because one of the things about the music industry, if you're not educated, and this is another podcast in and of itself talking about money and how to budget it and how to utilize it and how to wealth create and what that means. And that in itself is a, that's a world all in, in itself that we could talk about. But what I can tell you is, is that when I was in the industry, my economics were boom and bust. Yeah. So I didn't have a financial system. 
I didn't have a structure around doing what I did. And when when a pound came in, I didn't know what percentages of that pound were going to be um, were going to be um, allocated to the, the specific assignment. Yeah. So I didn't know the principle then of 70, 10, 10, 10. Yeah. Which means so just for ad- ad- you live on 70. Yeah. Live on 70. Yeah. yeah. Don't go above 70. Live on 70. You can do that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 10%. You just do not touch. Yeah. 10% rainy day. 10% I'm working towards something. Yeah. Yeah. So 70, I live on that. 10%, I just don't touch. It just doesn't exist. Yeah. It doesn't exist. Never to be touched. It's not there. It's not anything. Yeah. 10%, rainy day. You know, you're going down and it's like, um, right, the car had a puncture and you so and so and so and so, rainy day. That 10% covers that. And then 10%. I'm I'm working towards something. So you've seen that thing that you want and you've committed to the fact that 10% of your thing is going to work and you're just patiently going to use that 10% to work towards that. I didn't have that infrastructure in place when I the last um the last um major performance that I did was headlining Reading Festival with the Stone Roses. Yeah. In 1996, I believe it was, 1995, yeah? Uh, We got paid just over a quarter of a million pounds for 45 minutes work, yeah? Now, um, had I had, and when I say had, uh, I was 25 years old at the time. If I had been educated from, say, maybe the age of 12 or 13, that um, in the world of money, Nigel, what you need to do is you need to make sure that 70% you live on, 10% you put down and you don't touch, 10% is a rainy day, and 10% you're working towards something. If I had that as a habit as a part of my system, all the way through my music career when I was in OMD and the Stone Roses, ah, well, my financial picture by the age of 25 would have been entirely different. Oh, yeah, because you'd know 70% of that of whatever whatever was yours of 250 yes. goes into your monthly living. And then yes. account for your monthly living where you can pay your monthly bills. And then yes. 10 is don't touch, and that's growing yes. children somewhere. It's great gaining interest. Ten, yes, for all those incidents that happen, and the uh-huh. ten is for these business ideas, property, or whatever you want to get into. Whatever it is you're working for, it could be a pair of shoes. Yeah, it could be a pair of shoes. Your no what it could be a pair of shoes. I've seen so and so and so. I am working towards that. Let me just put that aside. And let that just grow. And then eventually I'll get to the particular point. And there's a really interesting um, um, scripture in the Bible where um, 
you know, th- this guy, he allocated some money, went away, came back, said to the guys, what have you done with the money? And right at the end, when he'd done the accounting, he said, to the guy that has, even more shall be added. Yes. To the guy that has little, even the little that he has, that's getting taken away. So I didn't have those principles in place then. But if you notice, OMD and the Stone Roses, that doesn't sound the same as X primary school or so-and-so secondary school or da-da-da-da-da-da, whatever it is. But all of those primary schools, all of those little companies, all of those little workshops you're doing those six, seven, eight, nine, ten times a week with the principles in place. You're able to to generate and maximize more than what it looked like. So it looked bigger. Yes. Yeah. When I was 25 and 21, 21 to 25, it looked bigger. Now. It doesn't look big, but the the interest here now is not to look big. <laughs> yeah, that's not it. it, it it's it, it's about what you're able to do with what you have. Yeah, perfect. Yeah, and and, and I I personally believe that you know one of the I'd love to at some point you know really zone in on that with you on on, on you know at another time and literally just talk about money yeah yeah because it's it's one of the key areas that like, like say for example you're in the you're in the you know the recruitment unleashing people's careers and things along those lines a lot of people are stuck in places purely and simply because of the, the absence of a, a financial strategy that would enable them to to take more risks. Yes. They can't they don't have choices because yes. financially they can't take the risk. Yes, precisely. So um I say a lot of that stuff because I know that there are some creatives and musicians now that are still waiting for Mr. Big to come along with the big it's like the lottery. Mm. he's going to, it's going to be the great rock and roll comeback. It's going to be huge. I'm going to be massive. I'm back in a, again. I'm going to have a BMW. It's going to be absolutely amazing. Yeah. But as I'm sure, you know, statistics show that a lot of lottery winners end up in the same position that, that they were. And that's purely and simply because the principles aren't habits. Yeah. Yeah. So boom and bust boom. economics is what, you know? So it takes a lot to develop a dream. It takes a lot to become what you want to be. In this week's podcast, we, we have Nigel Ipperson Fleming talking to us about becoming a practical dreamer. Really, it's about becoming a results-oriented dreamer. Because really, if you have dreams, it's about achieving those dreams. And there's a lot that goes into it. But what I would say is this, as you learned from this podcast, you've got to be able to visualize. You've got to be able to have a work ethic. You've got to be able to think correctly. And you've got to also be able to reverse engineer. That means think about what you want to achieve and then work backwards. And above all, you've got to add in the faith. You do that, you've got a very, very good chance of becoming a dreamer that has results. 
So my message to you this week is have a vision, visualize, think clearly, and then work backwards and then put in the work and you won't be far from achieving your goal. Get unleashed, stay unleashed.